Blog Talk Radio. And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. K-I-R-P Radio! K-I-R-P Radio! Good evening. You're listening to K-I-R-P Radio Show. Guest host, Rocco P. Uh, You may have noticed it's not the last Friday night of the month. Special broadcast tonight. You may have noticed a few interesting things that have occurred over the last week, week and a half. 
in the United States of America. If you want to call in, I'll get you on the air. That number is 619-638-8559, 619-638-8559. Tonight we'll be discussing martial law. Medical martial law is what's being rolled out as we speak. That is what's being rolled out as we speak. When we talk about martial law, there's a few things to take into context in, uh, in terms of the United States. You never need to call it martial law. Uh, understand that. In other words, you could just continually have the expansion of a police state and the integration of the military into the public sphere and never call it martial law. That's, that's essentially what, what we are seeing. Uh, right now, as we speak, well over 100 million people in the nation, in the U.S., are locked down. New York, California, Illinois, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Ohio, Louisiana, and Delaware. Okay. So those people, the state has basically made the decision that philosophically they're saying the state is going to protect them from themselves, really, and from other people. That's what it comes down to. That's really the, over, the overriding philosophy here is that at one point the state believes they have a right or the, the alleged right of the collective then crushes or eliminates the individual rights, and that includes, you know, the right to earn a living. So, you know, there's a lot that's going on as far as legislation in Congress. Uh, a lot of so-called helicopter money, you know, money will fall from the sky. It will obviously not solve everything. I believe in the state of North Carolina this past week, don't quote me on that, I didn't, I didn't pull up the article uh, as part of the show prep, but I think in one or two days, 40,000 new claims for unemployment rolled in. So I know my friend's wife, she had lost her job irrespective of the uh, uh, coronavirus uh, issue. She had lost her job, and you can't get through to anyone on the phone. It's impossible that they've just, they're, they're, they're beyond busy. It just can't happen. But in any case, I knew I knew this was a major move when they canceled the, remember, the remainder of the NBA season. Why do I say that? Well, it wasn't just the NBA season. It was uh, yeah, the NHL, National Hockey League, uh, all college basketball, and every, every other televised sport. And then there was bans on gatherings of people. We'll get into that more. And, of course, by, uh, by necessity, that includes sports. I think there was some talk initially that they were going to have the athletes play uh, to you know, empty arenas, and I think uh, LeBron James says he had no interest in doing that, which is not to say the NBA canceled the season due to LeBron James. The point is they didn't even opt for that. And to me, that's extremely significant because the powers that shouldn't be use arena sports to basically control the populace. They really use to control the populace. And I don't want to be high in my, I'm not being condescending. Okay, uh, yeah, you, you watch NBA, you watch NCAA, AA, you know, basketball and CAA football, which is, you know, that season's over. Didn't have to cancel that yet. Uh, you watch NHL. There, it's, part, it's part of the version. I mean, you get home from work, and you, you'd like to forget about certain things, and you turn on the TV. I mean, it's part, part of the broad culture. So when the decision was made to get rid of all of that, that told me that was a major move because they want everyone, including men, who largely watch arena sports. They want them to be focused 
on this largely manufactured crisis, in my opinion. I believe this crisis is largely manufactured. We'll get into that while I'm saying that. They want them to be focused on that 24-7. Now, I, I got rid of TV over six years ago when I stopped watching the NFL. I got rid of all cable. I just came to the conclusion as a born again believer, as a believer priest. At the end of my life, I didn't think I'd look back and say, I really would wish I had watched more TV, especially more televised sports. I didn't think I would say that, so I did. But again, I, I, I don't think it's all immoral. I think uh, there's better ways to, to use your time. But the point being is that yeah, some people could you know just like watch sports and not be addicted to it. I mean, you could watch the NFL and not be involved in you know, two or three or five of fantasy football leagues. You know, it's, it's quite possible for that to happen. But when they took that away, that was indicative of the fact they wanted everyone focused on this because I haven't, I mean, it's not like I'm watching ESPN, but I just imagine now 24-hour sports radio stations, ESPN, a lot of what they're probably talking about is coronavirus and about, you know, when or if, you know, things, when, when it's going to be normal, whatever that will be again. So they wanted, you know, they're using... They're basically making a major move with this manufactured crisis to create panic. Uh, they're doing this to create panic. The first show I did on this, on the coronavirus crisis, I had basically, I had, I underestimated it. And uh, because there have been so many times they had cried wolf, so to speak. You, know, you had SARS, you had Zika, uh, that there was just the avian flu. There were so many times they had used the word pandemic. Pandemic, it was, it was ridiculous. So I thought this would be the same, but obviously this is not, you know, this, this is a major move to consolidate power and, again, expand the growing police state and move us towards martial law. Once again, they will never say martial law. It's just like the children that were raised, that were born after 9-11. For them, it's normal to be molested, to have strangers put their hands on your body in airports. That's all they know. You know, the will of the people have been broken. They've accepted that. They've accepted that to fly. And now children being, you know, that will be born after this time, it will be normal for them if things progress as it appears they're going to progress. It will be normal for them to see military all the time, whenever and wherever in the States. They'll never call it martial law, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it expands. But certainly right now, at last count, don't quote me on this, at least 30 states have activated the National Guard. Uh, Governor Roy part of, you know, the insane over-response to this, declared a state of emergency in North Carolina when I believe seven people were supposedly tested or confirmed positive with coronavirus. And as of yesterday, I didn't check the official stats run by Johns Hopkins University, which is not to say Johns Hopkins is uh, an objective standard of truth, but they're running the official site for whatever reason. As of yesterday, there wasn't, has not been one death in North Carolina, but the governor decided to activate the National Guard. So this is this is beyond insane. It's a clear power move. As I said before, over 100 million people in the United States have already been locked down, and it certainly looks like they're moving towards a you know some type of a national lockdown or a quarantine for at least two weeks. We shall see. But by by removing all the sports, uh, that feeds into the fear, as again that normal diversion of television and sports has been eliminated. No longer can uh, a man come home from work for an hour or so and try and forget about whatever else is going on and uh, watch a game. I guess you can watch an old game. You can't watch any new games. 
the plans for uh, martial law, I said plans, I didn't say, I didn't say one plan, I said plans, multiple. Plans for martial law have existed in the United States for quite some time, for quite some time. I'm going to play a clip from the Iran-Contra hearings. Uh, Ali North, if you remember who that is, you don't know who that is. Uh, he worked, he was a National Security Council liaison uh, with the Reagan administration, wore a number of hats. And he was, uh, he was interviewed during the Iran-Contra hearings. And the, the short clip I'm about to play is when Democratic Congressman Jack Brooks questioned Ali North about his roles in plans for COG or continuity of government continuity of government, because there's detailed plan, it was Rex 84, was part of the plan for continuity of government, again, Ali North had testified then in July of 1987, and the, the exchange is brief, but it's fascinating, because you get a glimpse into the real deep state, not the fake deep state, you hear about on Fox News, you get a glimpse into the real deep state, how back then, in 1987, there were well-established contingency plans for martial law in the United States, even back then. Okay, it could have gone before then, but it certainly, yeah, it was nailed down then at that point. In your work at the uh, NSC, were you not assigned at one time to work on plans for the continuity of government in the event of a major disaster? Mr. Chairman, I believe the question touches upon a highly sensitive and classified area, so may I request that you not touch upon that, sir? I was particularly concerned, Chairman, because I read in Miami papers and several others that there had been a plan uh, developed by that same agency, a contingency plan, in the event of emergency that would suspend the American Constitution. And I was deeply concerned about it and wondered if that was the area in which he had worked. I most respectfully request that that matter not be touched upon at this stage. If we wish to get into this, I'm certain arrangements can be made for an executive session. The, uh, the person that told that politely told Jack Brooks, Congressman Jack, that, con that politely told Congressman Jack Brooks to shut up, was Democratic Senator Daniel Inouye. So you have Democratic Congressman Jack Brooks from Texas asking a simple question, saying, "Look, I'm in Congress and I've read in the papers about plans for continuity of government that would suspend the Constitution." And Daniel Inouye politely told Representative Brooks shut up, we could talk about her privately. So, fascinating in 1987 plans for martial law at that point. After 9-11, and I don't want to go into 9-11, I've done other shows on 9-11. Uh, after 9-11, uh, a lot of horrendous things took place. I mentioned the TSA in passing about you know, the, the fact that they really broke the will of the American people with all the security theater. Uh, it was nail clippers at first, then it was uh, two ounces of liquid, couldn't be brought on the plane, and then four ounces. And again, if you want to break the will of a people, get people, especially business class people that have to travel, and get them demoralized, get them used to the fact that strangers could touch their body, and they have to do that on a regular basis. For travel, everything's a privilege when 
when you lose your rights, I said, we are in a police state that's metastasizing. It's getting worse. Nothing's really a right. Everything's a privilege. It's a privilege to travel. And we're going to see that more develop with you know, this, this over, overhyped, ridiculous coronavirus, coronavirus crisis. But after, uh, after 9-11, a lot of horrendous things took place. They passed the Patriot Act, which was horrendous. Ron Paul, to his credit, didn't vote for the Patriot Act because there was no time to read it. No one had time to read on it. Should, it should have never been passed. They did put in a sunset provision, meaning they have to reauthorize it, which they've always done, Republican or Democrat. They've always done. And if you think I'm being partisan in this discussion, uh, you, you're misunderstanding me. Both sides, Democrats and Republicans, authorized the Patriot Act. Both sides had no problem with the Stasi-like Department of Homeland Security being established, which was meaningless. We had the FBI. Both parties today fully are for the implementation of medical martial law. Both parties, Republican and Democrat in power, have no problem with activating and deploying the National Guard. Both parties, I haven't heard anyone oppose plans for FEMA being deployed. That's happening now in New York State. FEMA is going to be rolled out. I've heard no one, no high-ranking no high Democrat or Republican, no one in Congress, no one at a high level in the state government. I've heard no one oppose the use of the Army Corps of Engineers that's being rolled out. I've heard no one do that. So this isn't a partisan issue. As with most issues, you know, they play left versus right, the same agenda. But this is an interesting clip now from Peter DeFazio. Peter DeFazio is still in Congress. He's a Democrat from Oregon. And he gave a one-minute speech. Maybe it was a few seconds more. Maybe he went over. And he complained about the fact that he had security clearance, and he was on his, uh, he'll say what committee. I don't know if it was Homeland Security. And he, didn't have, he did not have access to the Bush administration's COG or continuity of government. Again, as, comes up, as came up during the Iran-Contra hearings, the COG continuity of government plan was out there to suspend the Constitution. And Brooks got visib you know, was visibly upset, or at least he acted like he was, saying, why couldn't he see it when he had security clearance as a congressman? So this is from... See what year did he say that? 2000, I think that was 2000, as late as 2008. That's when it was posted. Gentlemen, yield back the balance of this time for what purpose does the gentleman from Oregon rise? Without objection. Most Americans would agree that it would be prudent to have a plan to provide for the continuity of government and the rule of law in case of a devastating terrorist attack or natural disaster, a plan that provides for the cooperation, the coordination, and continued functioning of all three branches of the government. The Bush administration tells us they have such a plan. They introduced a little sketchy public version that's clearly inadequate uh, and, and doesn't really tell us what they have in mind. But they said, don't worry, there's a detailed classified version. But now they've denied the entire Homeland Security Committee of the United States House of Representatives access to their so-called detailed plan to provide for continuity of government. They say, trust us. Trust us, the people who brought us Katrina to be competent in face of a disaster. Trust us, the people who brought us warrantless wiretapping and other excesses eroding our civil liberties.
trust us, maybe the plan just really doesn't exist and that's why they won't show it to us. I don't know. Or maybe there's something there that's outrageous. The American people need their elected representatives to review this plan for the continuity of government. Gentleman's time has expired. For what purpose does the gentleman from Texas rise? What commission to address the Now, what's interesting about that with, uh, with DeFazio there is this. I agree, uh, essentially, with uh, you know, everything he said. But, you know, after George W. Bush left office, we had eight years of a Democrat, Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoro. I call him Barry Satoro, no lack of respect. Most of his life, he grew up as Barry Satoro, his adopted father. He was named after his adopted father. And then at one point, he transitioned back into Barack Hussein Obama. So he was elected as Barack Hussein Obama. So after the Democrat was elected, I called in June of 2009, I called uh, DeFazio's, Representative DeFazio's office, and I didn't get on, on the phone with the uh, representative. But his staffer was very, very polite with me. It was a very interesting brief phone call. They didn't ask for my name. Normally, whenever you call a congressman's office, they, they want your name. You know, they, want, they, they keep track of you know, who's constituent, who isn't. So here I am. I'm calling from North Carolina. He didn't want any of that, and I just said, you know, I'm just calling to follow up. I know, you know, Representative DeFazio was, you know, rather concerned about the fact that the Bush administration did not uh, disclose the plans to people in Congress that had security clearance for continuity of government. Has the representative had any had had any success in getting the plans now that President Obama is in office? And the response by the staffer was no, but uh, he's been in communication with the HS Secretary, Janet Napolitano, so they're working on it. They're working on it. So do you see the problem, the little bit of the recent historical background, as you know, over 100 million people are locked down now in the United States over this coronavirus thing? Do you see the historical background? Do you see the problem here? When elected members of Congress don't have access to continuity of government plans, which are written plans for suspension of the Constitution. There's a huge issue here. Now, when we talk about the federal Constitution, it's important to keep in mind that there's no off switch. Uh, there, there's no off switch. In other words, emergency declarations issued by a president would not invalidate the Constitution, which is the highest law of the land. It's, it's not there. Uh, same thing with the governor. Emergency declarations, state of emergency declaration by a governor, regardless of whatever legislation was passed, if that violates a state constitution, it's not valid. It's not valid. Now, I'm, I'm about to read the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. Uh, the background of the article about of the so-called Bill of Rights, the first ten, ten amendments, is this. There's a huge debate between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists when the federal constitution was passed. The reason being this, the, the Constitution was a completely different compact. The United States had a perfectly functioning compact. It was called the Articles of Confederation. And what had happened, people had gathered together, largely not, it was not exclusively the same group that, wrote, that you know, worked on the Constitution, but they got together and they told the people they were meeting to just amend the Articles of Confederation. And they essentially were 
did not do that. <laughs> they weren't honest, and they produced a completely different compact or, con or what we call now the Constitution. And in that new Constitution, there was far more power given to the, to the federal government, which they called they called the general government. There was far more power given to the federal government. So the anti-federalist people like Patrick Henry, many of them protested and said, this is not good. This is not a step in the right direction because we do not need a general government. They call it a general government. We call it a federal government with that much power. So to let the, the result of that criticism was the Bill of Rights, which are negative affirmations. What I mean by negative affirmations, all the Bill of Rights did was clarify what the federal government couldn't do. Now, there, there were big government people like uh, Alexander Hamilton that basically said, if it's not in black and white, if it's not there, don't worry about it. And then many others, <laughs> such as Patrick Henry, said, well, no, I think we, we, we should be concerned. So this is highly significant when you consider that the Constitution was only ratified by the states. And again, it basically, when you look at the way it was ratified, the Articles Confederation was not legally removed. It wasn't legally nullified. Okay, that's another issue. But the point is the Constitution was only ratified by the states with the promise that the Bill of Rights would be added. So in other words, if the Constitution had been ratified and then the Bill of Rights were never ratified, there would, ne there would not have been the United States because the states were pulled out. It was, that's how strong the sentiment was about these negative affirmations. The very first one reads... Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So it, it's there, and obviously that's not applicable anymore. In the state where I live, in North Carolina, you could read in the North Carolina Constitution, it starts out, Article 1, Declaration of Rights, quote, that the great general and essential principles of liberty and free government may be recognized and established, and that the relations of this state to the Union and government of the United States and those of the people of this state to the rest of the American people may be defined and affirmed. We do declare that. So I would read section, I would read then section, uh, section 7, suspending laws. All power of suspending laws or the execution of laws by any authority without the consent of the representatives of the people is injurious to their rights and shall not be exercised. So in other words, any, dec any, any declaration of emergency by any governor is null and void unless the state legislature would have voted on it. It's just, it's not there. It's not valid. Section 12, right of assembly and petition. The people have a right. This is from the North Carolina Constitution. The people have a right to assemble together to consult for their common good, to instruct their representatives, and to apply to the General Assembly for redress of grievances. But secret political societies are dangerous to liberties of free people and shall not be tolerated. Section 13, Religious Liberty. All persons have a natural and inalienable right to worship God according to the dictates of their own conscience, and no human authority shall in any case whatever control or interfere with the rights of conscience. So, if, if your right of conscience is that you should go to church at least on Sunday and the state says you can't go to church on Sunday, I guess your right of conscience has been violated. Now, when I speak like this, yet you know, some people listening might think that, well, it's just, uh, yeah, 
the executive, the executive authority always trumps. No, no, it doesn't. This is why we have a written constitution. Going back to historical context of the United States and yeah, how, how the United States con constitution was framed and why it was revolutionary in a positive sense is that the English people had a constitution, but it, it wasn't written. Now, you had things like the Magna Carta, which was great, and that goes back to 1066, and that includes something like habeas corpus, Latin, which means you have the body. That basically meant even back then in 1066, you couldn't take someone's body, you couldn't arrest someone without a writ of habeas corpus saying why. Now, especially since post-9-11 in the United States, that's been gone. Americans could be declared enemy combatants. And what's going to happen, fast forward with this medical martial law, if someone down the road, someone like me, that will never be vaccinated, I will not be vaccinated, okay? I'm not going to do it. First off, there's no power in the federal or state constitution over my health, okay? We had in the federal constitution, in the time of the founders, we had Dr. Benjamin Rush, and he wanted an amendment for medical freedom and didn't make it in. But there's nothing that says the federal government has any right over health. So all the CDC the FDA, all of it, it all means nothing, but the people have tolerated it. They've tolerated it. There's no authority at the federal level. There's no authority at the state level for them to, for them to, to tell someone that they would have to be injected with something. And, of course, then there's the simple medical truth that if you believe, if you want to be vaccinated, that's your liberty. I'm not attempting to tell anyone they, they shouldn't, they can't be vaccinated. I'm not, I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is this. If you are vaccinated, then you believe you have immunity, then you're fine for me. So don't tell me as the government that you have a right to protect me from myself. And we'll look at that. We'll look at that later in the show as far as what's happened. So there's a horrible, horrible time in 1976 when President Ford then wanted the entire country vaccinated. And that started. Didn't turn out too well. Didn't turn out too well. I'm going to read part of an article by Chuck Baldwin. Chuck Baldwin is a pastor. Uh, he had originally been in uh, Fundamental Circles. Uh, he had gone to what was then Liberty Baptist College, which is now Liberty University, been part of the moral majority, and then he came out of the moral majority movement when he realized, when he basically learned more about the Constitution in U.S. history, and uh, then he became more of a, really, a patriot and a constitutionalist. So I, I appreciate Chuck Baldwin as an activist more as a pastor, meaning I think you know, too many of his sermons are politicized, and the others have said that. That's just my point of view. But the point is I do he, he, Chuck Baldwin has something to say. He definitely has something to say. He, he is, uh, his voice should be heard. And this was his article that uh, he came out this week. He writes a, a weekly piece, and this one was called The Contagion of Fear. If you want to read his stuff, go to Chuck Baldwin online, chuckbaldwinlive.com, chuckbaldwinlive.com, quote, Trump says that no more than 10 people should congregate. Okay, that means the U.S. House and Senate should shut down immediately. It means U.S. military troops must shut down operations involving any, any, involving any unit more than squad size. It means Trump's cabinet must immediately go home and stay home. It means the police departments must immediately disband their shift meetings and dissolve their SWAT teams. It means the FBI, ATF, BLM, Bureau of Land Management, etc. must disband all units numbering more than 10. It means the U.N. must close immediately. It means state capitals and county governments must send home all of their clerical staff numbering over 10. And the CDC must close any laboratory or office involving 10 or more people. Does anyone really think 
that any of that is going to happen. As usual, members of government believe themselves to be above the rules and restrictions they place on everyone else. Let me just interject this thought, too. Uh, you may be familiar with the logic, the so-called logic behind gun control. People want to restrict the right to keep and bear arms, and they'll demonize the object and not the use of the object. So what they'll basically say, now they don't like to use gun control. They don't like to use that phrase. It's not fashionable. So say common sense gun regulations or common sense gun laws. Common sense gun laws. Okay. So you have former Mayor Bloomberg, uh, and he basically wants to take the guns away from the people. His, his PACs were very influential, if you're familiar with what happened in Virginia when uh, the Democrats had taken control of their General Assembly, their state legislature, and then just passed draconian gun control laws in Virginia. That was largely, not exclusively, but largely the result of you know, millions of dollars that his PAC or PACs poured into the state of Virginia. Now, when you approach someone like Bloomberg, if they're thinking rationally, he's surrounded by armed guards, and that's okay. There's no contradiction there. But so the hypocrisy is intense because he basically says, if you're rich and powerful enough to pay for armed guards, that's okay. But you yourself can't be armed to protect yourself. You see the hypocrisy. That's the same thing now with Trump. That's the same thing now with Governor Cooper and all these other governors. Okay, no more than, than 10 people should congregate. Well, then you have to shut down government. You can't have Congress together. How can they do that? How could, how could Trump have a cabinet meeting? See, they, this is the elitist mentality, Democrat or, or, or Republican. They don't believe they should be under the same rule as everyone else, and that's another functional definition of tyranny. When people pass rules, and it's been like that a long time, it's like that with Obamacare. When Obamacare passed, as horrendous as it was, and of course the Republicans, even when they controlled the House and the Senate, when, when Trump was first elected, they didn't get rid of it. Every Republican ran against Obamacare, they didn't get rid of it. I've done a show on that. In any case, that's the functional definition of tyranny, when you, you don't live under the same rules that everyone else does. Congress has never been under Obamacare, incidentally. They were never. They always had their own plan. They, they were never in their staffers. They were never under it, but it was good for everybody else. Continue with Chuck Baldwin's piece. Tens of thousands of people die from the flu every year, and no one panics. Over 60,000 Americans died of the flu in the 2019 flu season, and over 80,000 Americans died of the flu during the 2018 flu season. That computes to more people dying from the flu just in America in one month, I think he meant one year, than have died from, from corona in the entire world to date. Oh, maybe a month. Think of it another way. Every year is more as many as many or more Americans died of the flu than were killed in all the Vietnam War. And no panic, no closed restaurants, no empty shelves in stores, no presidential plea to stay home, no closed churches, no businesses shutting down, no panic. Why don't the media tell us that the coronavirus has been around since, since the 60s? That's what we're talking about, basically, is a variation of the cold or flu virus. That's all we're talking about. Why don't they tell us that 30% of common colds stem from this virus? And this, this is a very, very valuable quote he then, he then uh, mentions. A physician who's a public health advisor to two Montana counties gave the following warning as to the lasting deleterious consequences that this overreaction, fear, and panic will have in this country. Okay, so this is a physician who's a public health advisor to two Montana counties. Quote, during the statewide governor's conference call today, a speaker said that we will never know the results of any overreaction, but we will certainly know the results of any underreaction. This is not true. 
we will eventually have a very good idea of the savage economic and social consequences, including deaths in economically marginal populations of overreaction and panic. Okay. You get that? The doctor, this should be everyone, everyone, left, right, or center, believes in liberty, should be saying this. We will eventually have a very good idea of the savage economic and social consequences, including deaths in economically marginal populations of overreaction and panic. Going back to Baldwin's piece, why don't they tell us that the unusually high mortality rate of the virus in Italy is due to the way the country is rationing medical care, even denying medical care to those over 80? Why don't they tell us that even for people over the age of 80, the COVID-19 survival rate is over 80%? The mortality rate of the coronavirus is only 2.9% who buy private China, where Wuhan is located. In the rest of China, the mortality rate is 0.4%. Remember the Diamond Princess cruise ship off Japan that was supposedly thoroughly infected with the coronavirus? The mortality rate of the virus on the ship was 0.85%. Why don't they report those facts? You know why they don't report those facts. They are deliberately creating fear and panic all over the world in order to make the American people fall for this hype and hysteria and convince, convince them that this is a legitimate pandemic. They have to create fear and panic to the rest of the world first. And I'd also add, this is also perfect cover for the economic collapse. Uh, the economic collapse was not caused by the coronavirus. If you were following the stock market, it was hyperinflated for a long time. It was going to bust eventually, and then the timing was perfect. Then they could blame it on the coronavirus. And of course, what they're doing with the hype and fear is making it worse by telling people now in more than five states they can't go to work unless you, know, you have the privilege, you're able to work from home. And uh, you should probably realize this, but if you drive a truck or a car for a living, uh, you can't work from home. If you serve tables for a living, you can't work from home. If you work or manage a gym, you can't from home. If you work in a movie theater or manage it, you can't work from home. If you're involved in the performing arts, you can't then work from home. But they don't care because they're going to protect you from yourself, even if it means you become impoverished, even if it means you lose your job and you can't support yourself. They're going to protect you from yourself because this is the philosophy of big government. This is the philosophy, the mindset that's shared by Republicans and Democrats alike. They will protect you from yourself. They know what's better for you than you do. They know what's better for you than you do. When you consider also how much hype this is, uh, you consider also how much hype is going on here. When you look at the so-called testing, okay, I'm sure you see all the time authoritatively people say that, yeah, so many have been confirmed, confirmed coronavirus and then, yeah, deaths from that. But when you peel back the layers on the test, you'll get to see that it's all smoke and mirrors. It's completely subjective. I'm going to read from part of a, part of a technical article by David Crow. This was posted at greenmedinfo.com. Greenmedinfo.com is called medical test. And it's called a op-ed. Does the, does, does the 2019 coronavirus exist? Does the 2019 coronavirus exist? Okay, I'm going to read from that in a few minutes. First, we'll take a break. Listen to some more music tonight. KRP Radio Show. Mm-hmm. 
Radio show keeping real Pudgy Miller guest host Rocco P talking about medical martial law. I said I was going to read from this piece op ed Does the 2019 coronavirus exist? Post on greenmedinfo.com, greenmedinfo.com by David Crow. The coronavirus, the coronavirus scare that emanated from Wuhan, China, December of 2019, is an epidemic of testing. There is no proof that a virus is being detected by the test, and there is absolutely no concern about whether there are a significant number of false positives on the test. What is being published in medical journals is not science. Every paper has the goal of enhancing the panic by interpreting the data only in ways that benefit the viral theory, even when the data is confusing or contradictory. In other words, medical papers are propaganda. It is also an epidemic by definition. The definition, which assumes perfection from the test, does not have the safety valve that the definition of SARS did. Thus, the scare can go on until public health officials change the definition or realize that the test is not reliable. Where I learned from studying SARS, the previous big coronavirus coronavirus scare after the 2003 epidemic was that nobody had proved that coronavirus existed, let alone was pathogenic. There was evidence against transmission and afterwards negative assessments of the extreme treatments that patients were subjected to. The nucleoside analog antiviral drug rebarberin, high-dose corticosteroids in the respiratory system sometimes osotamivir, Tamiflu, this is documented in my draft book chapter, mostly complete. And there's a link there, the infectious myth. The world is suffering from a massive delusion based on a belief that a test for RNA is a test for a deadly new virus, a virus that has emerged from wild bats in China, supported by the Western assumption that Chinese people will eat anything that moves. If the virus exists, then it should be able, it should be possible to purify the viral particles. From these particles, RNA can be extracted and should match the RNA used in this test. Until this is done, it is possible that the RNA comes from another source, which could be the cells of the patient, bacteria, fungi, etc. There might be an association with elevated levels of RNA in illness, but that is not proof that the RNA is from a virus. Without purification and characterization of virus particles, it cannot be accepted that an RNA test is proof that a virus is present. Officially, the virus is called sars COV2, and the disease is believed to be caused COVID-19. We will just refer to the coronavirus for the current virus panic and SARS for the 2003 panic. Definitions of important diseases are surprisingly loose, perhaps embarrassingly so. 
couple of symptoms, maybe contact the previous patient, and a test of unknown accuracy is all you often need. While the definition of SARS and earlier coronavirus panic was self-limiting, the definition of the new coronavirus disease is open-ended, allowing the imaginary epidemic to grow. Putting aside the existence of the virus, if the coronavirus test has a problem with false positive, as all biological tests do, then testing an uninfected population will produce positive tests, and the definition of disease will allow the epidemic to go on forever. This strange new disease, officially named COVID-19, has none of its own symptoms. Fever and cough, previously blamed on uncountable viruses and bacteria, as well as environmental contaminants are most common, as well as abnormal lung images, despite those being found in healthy people. Yet despite the fact that only a minority of people tested will test positive, often less than 5%, it is assumed that, this is, that the disease is easily recognized. If, this, if that was truly the case, the majority of people routed for testing by doctors should be positive. The coronavirus test is based on PCR, a manufacturing technique. When used as a test, it does not produce a positive negative result, negative result, but simply a number of cycles required to detect genetic material. The division between positive and negative is an arbitrary number of cycles chosen by the testers. If positive means infected and negative means uninfected, then there are cases of people going from infected to uninfected and back to infected again in a couple of days. A lot of people say it is better to be safe than sorry. Better that some people are quarantined or actually infected than risk a pandemic. But once people test positive, they are likely to be treated with treatments similar to SARS. Doctors faced with what they believe is a deadly virus for the, for the future, for anticipated symptoms, not for what they see today. This leads to the use of invasive, invasive oxygenation, high-dose corticosteroids, and antiviral drugs. In this case, some populations of those diagnosed, for example, in China, are older and sicker than the general population, and much less able to withstand aggressive treatment. After the SARS panic had subsided, doctors reviewed the evidence and showed that these treatments were often ineffective and all had serious side effects, such as persistent neurological deficit, joint replacement, scarring, pain, and liver disease. Scientists are detecting novel RNA in multiple patients with influenza or pneumonia-like conditions and are assuming that the detection of RNA, which is believed to be wrapped in proteins to form an RNA or virus, as coronaviruses are believed to be, is equivalent to isolation of the virus. It is not, and one of the group of scientists was honest enough to admit this, quote, we did not perform tests for detecting infectious virus in blood. Did you catch that? One honest scientist said, we did not perform tests for detecting infectious virus in blood. By this admission, earlier in the paper, they repeatedly referred to 41 cases out of 59 similar cases that tested positive for this RNA, as 41 patients confirmed to be infected with 2019 and COV. Another paper quietly admitted that, quote, our study does not fulfill Koch's postulates, end quote. Koch's postulates, first stated by the great German bacteriologist Robert Koch in the late 1800s, can simply be stated as purify the pathogen, for example, virus, for many cases with particular illness, expose susceptible animals, obviously not humans, to the pathogen, verify that the same illness is produced. Some add that you should also repurify the pathogen just to be sure that it's really creating illness. Famous serologist Thomas Rivers stated in 1936 speech, it's obvious that Koch's postulates has not been satisfied in viral diseases. That was a long time ago, 
but the same problem still continues. None of the papers referenced in this article have even attempted to purify the virus. And the word isolation has been so debased by virologists that means nothing. For example, adding impure materials to a cell culture and seeing, seeing cell death as isolation. Now, that was, that was technical, but I think you should get the idea then that when they authoritatively say on TV or in the paper or when you go to John Hopkins site, yeah, confirmed, confirmed, yeah, confirmed coronavirus, confirmed COVID, uh, it, it means nothing. The, the tests are completely subjective. In the state of North Carolina, as I mentioned before, at least as of yesterday, no one had died yet, and they've activated the National Guard. Do you see a problem here? Even if the tests were right and no one's died, why is the governor activating the National Guard in the state? Okay, You've had, oh, roughly, when you go to the CDC site, I didn't pull it up before the show. I checked it last week around 154 deaths through the seasonal, seasonal flu in North Carolina, beginning of the flu season being the end of September until now. Yet there was no National Guard wasn't activated. Uh, you know, no one shut down the gyms and the restaurants. We didn't have the social distance, distancing EDC. Why is that? Okay. They're, obviously, they're obviously hyping fear. They're obviously hyping fear. Dr. Ron Paul, who was formerly in Congress and ran for President of the United States, uh, he was known as Dr. No because he would not vote for legislation unless it was based upon the enumerated functions in the Constitution. That's why he was known as Dr. No. But he is, uh, he is and was a medical doctor. He wrote, he wrote a good brief piece. You can find this at the ronpaulinstitute.org, ronpaulinstitute.org. He called ronpaulinstitute.org, he called it the coronavirus hoax. Yes, he called it the coronavirus hoax by Ron Paul, or we from part of that. The chief fearmonger of the Trump administration is without doubt Anthony Fauci, head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious, Infectious Diseases at the National Institute of Health. Fauci is all over the media, serving up outright falsehoods to stir up even more panic. He testified to Congress that the death rate for the coronavirus is 10 times out of the seasonal flu, a claim without any scientific basis. On Face the Nation, Fauci did his best to further damage an already tanking economy by stating right now, by stating right now personally, I wouldn't go to a restaurant. He has pushed for closing the entire country down for 14 days over what? A virus that has thus far killed just over 5,000 worldwide and less than 100 in the United States. Okay, so the number is slightly up, but again, those numbers are all suspect based upon the testing that I just, I just debunked. Furthermore, you have to take into account uh, something. You can go to lewrockwell.com and look at anything written by Bill Sardi, S-A-R-D-I. He has his own site, too. I read him at lewrockwell.com, lewrockwell.com. And Sardi's pointed out when you drill down the numbers to the mortality rate, is largely concentrated among the elderly, and in particular among those who already had serious medical issues. For example, if you're in your 70s and you already had emphysema, and, or you already had chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or you already had tuberculosis, it wouldn't take much of a flu to then kill you. So when you take that into effect, again, that further debilitates how deadly the disease is. It's hyped. In any case, Ron Paul continues, by contrast, tuberculosis, an old disease not much discussed these days, killed nearly 1.6 million people in 2017. Where's the panic over this? And I'd also add, in spite of all Trump talking about the border, 
TB has re-entered the United States largely, uh, largely through people coming over the Mexican border illegally. So another failure of the Trump administration, all talk, no action, as far as securing the border. And again, if you have TB and then you do get the flu, yes, your, rate, your, your mortality, the probability of mortality then increases dramatically. But not to mention the fact we've got illegals that are spreading TB and have been spreading TB in the United States, even if we didn't have this lovely whatever it is out there virus. If anything, what people like Fauci and the other fear mongers are demanding will likely make the disease worse. The martial law they dream about will leave people hunkered down inside their homes instead of going outdoors or to the beach where the sunshine and fresh air will boost immunity. That's true. Sunshine clearly boosts immunity. You don't really, you rarely see any type of flu where it's hot. Like, you know, Mexico, South America, you rarely see any type of flu because God gave us the ability we produce vitamin D through contact with the sunlight. The panic produced by these, going back to Dr. Paul's piece, the panic produced by these fear mongers is likely helping spread the disease as massive crowds rush into Walmart and Costco for the last roll of toilet paper. The madness over the coronavirus is not limited to politicians in the medical community. The head of the neoconservative Atlantic Council wrote an editorial this week urging NATO to pass an Article 5 declaration of war against the COVID-19 virus. Are they going to send in tanks and drones to wipe out these microscopic enemies? People should ask themselves whether this coronavirus pandemic could be a big hoax, with the actual danger of disease massively exaggerated by those who seek to profit financially or politically from the ensuing panic. That is not to say disease is harmless. Without question, people will die from coronavirus. Those in vulnerable categories should take precautions to limit the risk of exposure. But we have seen this movie before. Government overhypes the threat as an excuse to grab more of our freedoms. When the threat is over, however, they never give us our freedoms back. Dr. Ron Paul. It's an interesting piece then, one of the pieces I'll quote from. From quarantine to tyranny to rebellion, where is the line in the sand? From quarantine through tyranny to rebellion, where is the line in the sand? Written by under pseudonym Brandon Smith. If you're familiar with 1984, you know who Brandon Smith is then. Uh, believes the pseudonym. Finally, there's a question of agenda and motive behind the rising call for martial law-like measures over the, over the pandemic. For example, Champaign, Illinois Mayor Deborah Frank Feenan has given herself executive powers in response to the coronavirus infection that are outright dictatorial and Soviet in their violations. Among other things, she demands the power to enforce curfews, ban public gatherings, ban alcohol, ban or confiscate firearms, as well as confiscate supplies from any citizen if those supplies are needed for emergency response. Is this really about protecting the public? Similar in North Carolina, when uh, all stores close now at 8 p.m., how, how does the virus have the ability to, to tra be transmitted more after 8 p.m. at night? Yeah, it's asinine because you even have less people that go to the stores that late. Again, another absurd extension of, of, of power that shouldn't exist. Is this really about protecting the public? How does it protect the public to confiscate the only means of defense or confiscate their food and supplies? Getting back to North Carolina, uh, we have, I'm glad that grassroots North Carolina, which is 100% volunteer run, no one gets paid, led by Paul Vallone. And uh, we have the right to carry concealed in North Carolina because grassroots North Carolina pushed that. But they sued the government a few years back, staying, saying if a state of emergency was ever declared, uh, they can't limit our right to keep and bear arms. So I'm glad they did that. So at least in North Carolina, in North Carolina did. Because in states where there is no right to keep and bear arms, you see that in New York, New Jersey, 
definitely there's less respect for the people. So I'm glad. Yeah, the, the governor's uh, magical powers is given himself by executive decree, by edict. I'm glad that uh, there is at least a limit on the right to keep and bear arms for the moment. Is this really about protecting the public? How does it protect the public? Confiscate their only means of defense or confiscate their food and supplies. This thing is usually done in communist countries and it's done to protect, to protect government power, not protect the people. Under also, also understand also that the Champagne mayor is not the only official calling for these types of actions. From New York to LA and beyond, those of us who are paying attention have noticed a swift and quiet implementation of orders that are whittling down American freedoms. Do not expect Donald Trump to operate differently. Expect him to initiate martial law measures, although he may not call it. Okay, he's not going to call it martial law in the next few months. Expect him to activate Executive Order 13603, which was created by Barack Obama in 2012, and allows the federal government to appropriate everything from land to food to firearms in the event of a national emergency. This is going to happen. Count on it. The pandemic is not an excuse for tyranny, and I, for one, will not comply. I and many I know will self-quarantine for a time with the expectation that we will eventually contract the virus and hopefully our immune systems are strong enough to fight it, which is obviously the case in the past. Again, uh, the flu kills a small number of people, so this is a flu. All right. Getting back to the piece, in the meantime, I will not be allowing any government officials to confiscate my supplies or my firearms for my own safety or the greater good. I will not be cooperating with census takers asking questions about how much supplies I have stocked and whether or not I am ill. I will not sit out or while checkpoints are set up in my county to enforce travel restrictions or demand people test for symptoms. I will not be signing up for government rations in exchange for my biometric data. I will not be visiting the local FEMA Center for Government Aid, and I will fight anyone that tries to assert martial law tactics in my area. Brandon Smith, maybe that is his real name. I was thinking Winston Smith. From quarantine to tyranny to rebellion, where is the line to stand? You can find that at altmarket.com, t-market.com. Where are we going to go from here at this point? Uh, where, uh, where will we go from here? Where will we go from here? Uh, well, what have we already seen? What have we already seen? Uh, people in the Northeast, uh, they're begging, they're begging for arms, they're begging for these tests. They're absolutely begging for these tests. There was a, there was a video that was out last week. It was literally thousands of cars. I think it was in Bergen County, New Jersey, that people were waiting to get the test. Okay, and the test there was provision for free testing. In one of the one of the uh, one of the bills that was passed by Congress, there's, there's, there was provision for free testing. So, where where do I think this is going to go at this point? Uh, first off, uh, the free testing will become mandatory testing. So you're going to have to think about that, and they're going to implement it uh, at choke points. They're going to implement it when uh, I just heard Philadelphia International Airport was locked down. So when they reopen all the airports. It'll be if you want to travel, there'll be mandatory testing, and they'll they'll make it. They'll always make it like it's voluntary. It's like well, you don't you don't have to be tested, but then if you just have a meeting tomorrow in L.A., you could just drive. <laughs> so that's what it'll be. But the voluntary testing will become mandatory. Uh, that will be done at choke points. They'll do it at airports and all mass transportation hubs. 
They'll do that at bus stations. They'll do it at train stations. And they'll start doing it at random checkpoints uh, in cars, obviously. Again, there'll be a lot of people that are sad to say that are under mind control that are sadly deceived and may not be feeling any symptoms and still want to get this test. And as I've already debunked the test, the test is completely hokey and means absolutely nothing. It's meaningless. So the voluntary test will become mandatory, and then it will uh, there'll be more and more force used to extort and coerce people to take that test. I fully expect checkpoints between states. Again, it will be to protect the public from themselves. So, you know, if you have to travel as part of your business or for social reasons to go from North Carolina to Virginia, then I fully expect, you know, just at, at the border, then someone will have to then give you a test. So that's where I fully expect the way it's being rolled out. Uh, the testing would become mandatory. The vaccine, they say, wouldn't be, will not be developed for 12 months. To the best of my knowledge, uh, the contract has been given, or at least the research that's being conducted for the vaccine is being done by an Israeli firm. So it's being done by a company in Israel. And the vaccine then will become mandatory. The vaccine, I predict, will become mandatory. And then you have to decide, are you willing to do that? Uh, are you willing to take a mandatory or are you doing? To, are you willing to take a mandatory vaccine? Uh, I said before, I for one will not, and there's a lot of good reasons. Uh, there's a lot of good reasons I will not. I'm going to take one more break, and then I'll finish up and I'll explain why. Back in 1976, in the present Ford, what happened the last time a U.S. president uh, dictated that the public should get vaccinated? You listen to the KRP radio show, keeping real. Pudgy Miller guest host, Rocco P.
You're listening to KRP Radio Show. Keep me real. Pudgy Miller, guest host, Rock OP. And we're talking about medical martial law. I've said numerous times during the show, I will not take any vaccine, uh, particularly this vaccine that they are developing, which should allegedly be ready in a year for this uh, virus, which has not even been isolated by any testing. I will not take that vaccine. Why? Uh, am, I, am I just being obstinate? Uh, am I socially maladjusted? I may be. Uh, I may be obstinate. I may be socially maladjusted. But there's many good medical reasons apart from what we already discussed as far as testing being bogus uh, and, and completely arbitrary and, uh, and irrelevant. There's many good reasons not to take this particular vaccine. March 24, 1976, President Ford orders swine flu shot for, shots for all. You can find this all over the web. I'm at wired.com, wired.com. And that would be the title if you want to do web search. March 24, 1976, Ford ordered swine flu shots for all. Uh, the first day of the vaccination started on October 12, 1976. Ford was acting on the advice of medical experts, I love that phrase, medical experts, who believed they were dealing with a virus potentially as deadly as the one that caused the 1918 Spanish influenza pandemic. The virus surfaced in February at Fort Dix, New Jersey, where 19-year-old private David Lewis told his drill instructor that he felt tired and weak, although not sick enough to skip a training hike. Lewis was dead within 24 hours. The autopsy revealed that Lewis had been killed by swine flu, an influenza virus originating in pigs. By then, several other soldiers had been hospitalized with symptoms. Government doctors became alarmed when they discovered that at least 500 soldiers on the base were infected without becoming ill. It recalled 1918 when infected soldiers returning from the trenches of World War I triggered a contagion that spread quickly around the world, killing at least 20 million people. Fearing another plague, the nation's health officials urged Ford to authorize a mass inoculation program, meaning mass vaccination, aimed at reaching every man, woman, and child. He did, the president did, to the tune of $135 million. Uh, that would be $500 million in today's money. This was written, oh, what year was this written in? 2008, so more inflation since then. Mass, mass vaccinations started in October, but within weeks, reports started coming in of people developing Guillain-Barre syndrome, a paralyzing nerve disease, right after taking the shot. Within two months, 500 people were affected by Guillain-Barre, and more than 30 died. Amid a rising uproar and growing public reluctance to risk the shot, federal officials abruptly canceled the program December 16th. Okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reread that last paragraph if you didn't catch that. It's rather important. Mass vaccination started. This is under the president's edict. Within weeks, reports started coming in of people developing Guillain-Barre syndrome, a paralyzing nerve disease, right after taking the shot. Within two months, 500 people were affected and more than 30 died. Amid a rising uproar and growing public reluctance to risk the shot, federal officials abruptly canceled the program December 16th. In the end, 40 million, 40 million Americans were inoculated and there was no epidemic. A later, more technically advanced examination of the virus, isn't that interesting? A later, more technically advanced examination of the virus revealed that it was nowhere near as deadly as the 1918 influenza virus. The only recorded fatality from, the, from, the, from swine flu itself was the unfortunate Private Lewis. So one person died from the flu and 30 people died from the vaccine and 500 uh, contracted Gambare a nerve disease. So now I, I will not take that vaccine. Uh, I am not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but the vaccine that will come out is going to harm far more people 
than whatever virus or viruses are out there. And yes, there could be multiple viruses that have been released since the testing is irrelevant. There could be multiple viruses that are out there. But based upon the numbers that have come in already, I fully expect the vaccine will be far more deadly. It will hurt far more people. It will harm far more people. It will kill far more people than whatever coronavirus is, whatever viruses are out there. So again, you could, you have the right, it's your liberty. If you want to be vaccinated, that is your liberty. However, please don't tell me that I'm any risk to anyone else except myself. And please, please don't tell me that the government has a right to protect me from myself, okay? The government hasn't submitted a balanced budget in years. I, I, I get beyond discussion, I listen to New York, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo just go on and on and on. I mean, it, it, it's beyond, it's beyond discussing. He talks about the fact that he wanted New York coordinated with New Jersey and Connecticut because he said he didn't want people going to a state where they basically would have more liberty than New York. Okay, the government. If you didn't get the memo, the government can't protect you from yourself. Okay, there's nothing in the Constitution about that. The Constitution at the federal level is the highest law of the land. The Constitution at your state level is the highest law of the land. There's no language about the government protecting you from yourself. And there was, they can't. It's a sick fantasy. So if you want to believe the TV, that's fine. That's fine. If you want to be tested, every time the government tells you to, to be tested, that's fine. If the government says you can't be within, you know, eight feet of someone, that's fine. If you believe it's good that the government says you can't be within 10 people of someone, that's fine. If arbitrarily the government says you can't be, you can't be in a group of more than three people, that's fine. Okay, if you want to believe that. But if you believe it's in your best interest to believe what the government says, just remember what happened in 1976. Just remember the president with his experts wanted the whole country vaccinated and 40 million people were vaccinated. 500 people got Guillain-Barre nerve syndrome disease, and 30 people died. Okay, just remember that. That was based on the best experts of the time the president said it, okay? So you go right ahead. But again, don't think that I and any, and there will be many others that will refuse to be vaccinated. Don't think we're, we're a threat to anyone. We're not. Because if you're vaccinated, then you have the magical immunity based upon whatever the government says the virus is. And whatever, whatever magic they say, since the virus hasn't been isolated, I don't know how they're developing an accurate vaccine personally. I'd love to hear the explanation medically. I'd love to hear the scientific explanation for how they could develop a vaccine when they haven't isolated the virus. But in any case, if you want to go and take that, that's fine. But don't tell me that I'm a risk to you because I refuse to be vaccinated. It's just sad that the American people have been this debased, their view of liberty is just so past tense. They just believe whatever ever, ever any Democrat or Republican in power is going to tell them. It's just so sad. I mean, you look at Andrew Cuomo again in New York. This, this is a guy they celebrated when they expanded abortion laws there so that then you can kill a baby that's born alive. You think he cares about life? You honestly think he cares about the people of New York. This is a naked power grab. This is a naked power grab. It's not based upon any scientific fact. Again, just look at the numbers. Go to CDC sites yourself. See how many people die in your state, how many people die in the nation of, of the flu so far this year. There was no panic. But now there's a manufactured crisis. So you do, you do what you want to do. Uh, you do what you want to do. I, I will not be vaccinated. I will not be forcibly vaccinated. We're all going to have some choices to make as time rolls out. And you don't want to, 
think about this at the last minute when someone with a gun stops you in your car and tells you you have to be vaccinated. You want to pretty much have a plan before that ever happens. But this is what we're, we're, this is what we're moving towards. This is what we're moving towards in this medical martial law. You've been listening to KRP Radio Show. Keep me real, Pudgy Miller. Guest host, Rocco P. I will be on the air, Lord willing, next Sunday night at 8 p.m. for part two. Part two will be the response of the church to the coronavirus crisis. The response of the church to the coronavirus crisis. Thanks again for listening to KRP Radio Show. Have a good night, and thank you for listening. KRP Radio!